The parish I grew up in, like many parishes, if not most parishes, at Christmas time would do some version of the Christmas pageant or story with the kids. We wouldn't do it at Mass, which I think is the right way to do it. We would do it before Mass. They did it for the second through fourth graders. I remember this very vividly. And the little kids would get the supporting actor roles, shepherds or sheep or something like that. But the fourth graders would get the major roles. And I remember anxiously waiting for that year to come. And pretty much in our eyes, it was Mary, Joseph, and a bunch of losers, you know. <laughs> and I didn't get Joseph. I just remember that. Ted Sawinski got it. After <laughs> 40-some years, I can still remember. But there were still important, the innkeeper and that sort of thing. But when it came my turn, I got Herod. <laughs> I never forgot that. And in my gloomy fourth grade self, I sort of sulked for a while. But I have to admit, over the years and decades, there's been a kind of softness for Herod in my heart that's been there. And I know he is the arch-villain of the Gospels. He's the, the tetrarch we all love to hate. But there's something about Herod, if you kind of look beyond the caricature of him, and we do get some really rather poignant details about his life, there's something I'd like to suggest about Herod that maybe is a little more familiar to most of us in our own hearts than we want to admit. Not, praise God, that you know, we take up his murderous sort of hatred, but just think about it for a minute. There's something about Herod that is fascinated by Jesus. You see a little of that in today's gospel, but elsewhere in the other gospels, it's not Jesus, but it's John the Baptist that he's fascinated with. He loves to listen to John, even though he imprisons John. When the time comes that he has to behead John, we're told that he's reluctant to do it. He's drawn to Jesus. He's drawn to his disciples, and yet he's fearful at the same time. And because he's so fearful and vulnerable, combined with the authority and power he has, that's often a dangerous combination. And for him, it leads to murderous anger and activity. But there's something in him that is both fascinated by Jesus and yet afraid to get too close. And I'd like to suggest that if we're brutally honest with ourselves, sometimes we have a little of that in our own hearts. But also think of the way others come to Jesus in the gospel that we have today. There's Herod with that love-hate relationship. But then we're told, and it's in the reading here, I know you all saw it because we heard the massive turning of the pages as we got to the gospel in your worship aids. It isn't just Herod who is troubled by the message of the wise men. Where is the king of the Jews? We're also told that all Jerusalem was troubled with him. And it's the same verb that applies to both of them. And we can't overlook that fact. Now, for the people of Jerusalem, the idea that the king of the Jews had come would have meant something very different than it did to Herod. For Herod, it's this very personal threat that he feels, right? Well, if there's a king who's coming, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my authority? I'm sure his own identity was wrapped up in his role as ruler. And I think, as I said, we can relate on a very different scale, sure, but can relate to that sense of, does the goodness of God threaten me? Not because we would ever say, 
I don't like God, no. But think of how the goodness of God threatens us at times. I mean, at the foundation of every feeling of jealousy or envy or bitterness or resentment, often it's because the goodness of God manifested in somebody else doesn't sit so well with us. And we see them as rivals. We see them as competitors. We see them as perhaps unfairly getting something we ourselves ought to have. And even though we may see it as the goodness of God objectively, there's still something there that threatens us and it can lead to some very bad decisions, even some very hateful or hurtful decisions. And yes, on a much different scale, but I'd like to suggest it's the same dynamic that's going in Herod's own heart. But how about all these other residents of Jerusalem? Well, what's their problem? Why are they troubled, like Herod, at the news of the coming of the king? Well, do a little history lesson here. This isn't the time of the great monarchy of Israel. This isn't another David who would be coming. This is the Roman world. And the Romans were very good at keeping peace, but only if you refused to cause any trouble. And if you caused any trouble, then God help you, because the Romans wouldn't put up with that. And so I can easily imagine them saying, my gosh, if if rumblings about a king of the Jews start surfacing, how is the emperor going to respond to that? After all that we've put up with, do we really want now to raise the cry, we've got a king? I can easily believe they were troubled that that sort of rumor would get started. And if you do know your history, just a few decades after the death of Jesus, Israel would be flattened for just such a rebellion. Now let's translate that into our world a little bit. I mean, it's good for them on the one hand. Here is a king of the Jew. Here is a fulfillment of prophecy. And isn't it the case that we often know the Christian message is a good one? This is a good thing that should be proclaimed. And yet are we not also ourselves at times worried? How will it be received? What if we're shamed because of it? What if we're shouted out of the room because of it? What if we lack the courage to bring this out in a very public way and proclaim it? And I don't know about you, but I'll be honest, there are plenty of times that I, Father John, know what that feeling is like. I just as soon keep it quiet. I'll share it with my friends in friendly confines, whether I'm talking about the value of life, be it an immigrant at the border, an unborn child, a sibling or a friend, who knows disrespect and hatred sometimes in my own heart. I know I can talk about the importance of forgiveness and it's something that should be out there, but when it's my turn to bring it up, I just assume that it not be shared. And are we really all that different from all the residents of Jerusalem, who on the one hand are hearing this good news that ought to be proclaimed and at the same time are afraid to bring it out into the light? So what do we do, right? What do we do if we have that little hint of Herod in our hearts? If we lack the courage that we wish we had that maybe those residents of Jerusalem also lacked? Let's suggest we go to the third and final example of what it means to encounter Christ, particularly in these days when radical encounter is something we spend a lot of time thinking about. What about these wise men? What about these magi? They don't know the history of Israel from all intents and purposes. They come from very far away. They wouldn't know about the prophecy of a new king coming, but they're drawn by something marvelous and wonderful. 
These are people who their profession was to look at the natural world. Is there something here that's a manifestation of the divine? And so, okay, it's the star, and they've got to follow it. But I would argue much more powerful than the star is first when they come to Herod himself. They're not afraid to bring out into the light this nascent question that couldn't have meant a whole lot to them other than we think there's something here and I can't stay away. So tell me, do you know where he is? They don't even take the time to research who the person is that they're asking. Just here's a resident of this foreign land. Do you know there's someone wonderful here and we can't stay away? And there they are finally at the manger. And as Matthew tells us, they are amazed to be in the presence of Jesus and Mary and Joseph and how wonderful it is to be there. These are not men of Israel. They're there, they receive in the moment, and then they leave. And near as we can tell, they never come back. They don't become, quote, converts. They don't become members of Jesus' disciples. But I'm sure they never forgot what they received that day, to be in the presence of that which is good and beautiful and wonderful. And encounter with Christ should always begin that way. And so the learned people of Israel who know the scriptures, who know what to expect, They're afraid when their moment comes. It's almost as if they know too much about Jesus for their own good. And I don't know about you, but that's me plenty of times. I'll teach about him, I'll preach about him, but sometimes when the moment comes for me to go out and be the one who speaks that word, I just as soon keep it under wraps. And Herod, he's fascinated by Jesus, but he can't bring himself to go, he's too afraid. And so he hears about Jesus from another, right? Tell me about it through spies. Tell me about it through the word on the street. He can't bring himself to go. How often do we talk about Jesus? We pray about Jesus. We sing about Jesus. But do we seek that encounter? And the encounter isn't always going to look like places like where we are right now. The encounter is not always going to look like someone we expect it to look like. It's not always going to be in a situation that's scripted as comfortably as the Christmas pageant is. And so on this glorious day, as we near the end of the Christmas season, I think with the joy, there's also a poignant challenge for this Feast of the Epiphany. And whether in our own hearts there's a little of Herod, a little of the fact that the goodness of God that we ought to be able to simply share in as it's manifested in someone else's heart or talents, and we feel like, no, I don't want any part of that. If there's a little in our hearts like the residents of Jerusalem, yeah, I know this is the good news, I know this should be shared with everyone, but not me, not now, I'll hear about it from someone else then where I think we're called to look is to those people in our lives who do witness to the marvel and the glory of the God we pray to. And maybe they're not card-carrying members of our society or our church or even sometimes our faith. But if there's authentic love, if there's authentic respect for the beautiful and the true, then they have something to teach us and tell us. And we know that eventually a lot of the residents of those citizens of Jerusalem who originally were troubled, soon they themselves felt the joy. They themselves went to see this person in the flesh, sought out the encounter. Herod, tragically, never got to that point. 
And every one of us, I think, is somewhere in that complicated mix. But if we want this feast day to mean something for us and not just be a great story from 2,000 years ago, then the encounter is one we have to seek in our own hearts and in the hearts of the people we meet.